Hello everybody, Deborah Harcourt speaking here from Asia Pacific Early Childhood Consultants and I do apologise for my absence over the last few weeks. I've been giving a little bit of thought to the May budget and what I could offer to our thinking around that. So what I'd like to do today is really a bit of a transcript of a paper that I have just completed and I'm wondering if there is a silver lining in the budget cuts for early childhood in Australia. The budget in May that was delivered by our coalition government I think has created a great deal of anxiety amongst the early childhood community in Australia and I think rightly so. But I believe there is more than one way to skin a cat when the die has been cast for us in such unfavourable terms or from what we perceive unfavourable terms. So I wonder if we can look at this situation and perhaps try and understand why the government might have chosen this path, although I can't see into their crystal ball, but maybe what we can do about it as an early childhood community. So the response has been quite resounding from uh, Sam Page from Early Childhood Australia came out and saying that the federal government no longer supported quality improvement. Uh, people like Community Early Learning Australia accused the government of hiding the fact that it had ended the 2009 National Partnership Agreement with the states. On Twitter, there were lots of uh, commentaries from people like Liam McNicholas, who called it a failure for children. Lisa Bryant said these were unreasonable policies. And many other commentaries that focused, I think, more on the childcare benefit aspect or the money that goes into the childcare benefit aspect of the budget. But what I'd like us to do is to focus on the quality element. So the case in point I'd like us to consider is and please, I completely concur with the pleas for the likes of funding for three and four year olds access to high quality early childhood education. I have absolutely no qualms with that at all. And any funding in fact that will genuinely assist in closing the gap for children and families who might be experiencing the impact of marginalisation. But I do believe that there were and continue to be cases of gross mismanagement of the funding under the Long Daycare Professional Development Program. That was a one-off budget that the federal government put in place of $200 million to upskill educators. But I'm going to suggest here in this podcast that it was not generally used in a strategic and productive way. I think the federal government is right in examining their return on investment, as any investor would do in any business. And from what I can see, the final report from long daycare settings to the Department of Education and Training was supposed to measure the impact of this funding on quality. But in fact, it only asked the recipients of the, the funding to identify the activities that it had undertaken and how many staff who attended. So it's very difficult to measure the quality improvement when 
the parameters around the evaluation do not ask individual settings to measure the impact it's had. So my first question would be then, have we as an early childhood community established that we can use financial support offered by the Feds in a proven and effective manner? At this point, my opinion is my own and it's really anecdotal at best. When I review the published quality ratings across Australia, I really do question the veracity of the effectiveness of the funding and any measured long-term impact of the experience of young children in early childhood settings in terms of raising the quality of early childhood education. In the nine years since the implementation of the National Quality Framework, the NQF, in 2009, there are still, in the first quarter of this year, there were still approximately 22% of long daycare settings who did not meet the National Quality Standard, 45% were meeting, and only 30% exceeded the National Quality Standard. And this was after a $200 million investment. Now, I've got to be really open and honest with you, and many of you know that I do work full-time as a consultant and part-time as an academic. So I was actually a beneficiary of that funding through my business that I established in 2002. And as a devotee of the Regimelia Educational Project, what I wanted to do was um, offer a translation of that project into the Australian context and how we could improve the work of educators through the use of educational documentation and an examination of the principles. So I worked across a small stable of early childhood centres across Australia, all who are still with me, as well as doing face-to-face -face seminars. But in a recent return to face-to-face -face seminars, just in the last couple of months, I found a significant drop in registrations um, subscribing to come along to those seminars and I've also been speaking with other consultants within Australia who say that registrations have been dropping as well. So I guess my question then is what does this say, this, this slowing down of, of accessing professional development, what does it say about the will and the ability or the commitment of the early childhood community to support ongoing professional learning of its membership without this federal funding, when it seems, based on the data that comes out of ESEQA, it seems that there is a still a skill gap existing within the community. So having access to publicly funded money in the sector did not come with any guidelines or suggestions about how to be strategic. There were guidelines, of course, about what you could and couldn't spend it on, but there was no guidelines in being really strategic about how that money could be spent. And let's face it, most early childhood professionals do not come from a business background, even though many of you could be running multi-million dollar businesses on behalf of somebody else. So I think it's little wonder that the money was not spent strategically. So we do have to wonder 
well, did we have the skills? Could have we used more uh, guidance so that we did spend the money wisely and so that it could have been deemed as a significant return on investment? So I think there's a few opportunities here. Moving forward in this new landscape of reduced funding, what if any opportunities exist? My understanding is that, that by the end of this year, 2018, there will be no more money for the National Quality Framework and there will come an end to the 2009 partnership agreement entered into by the state and federal governments. I also understand that by 2020, a sequel will have its funding disappear and with it a significantly reduced ability to externally assess quality in our early childhood sector. Do we really care about this? I wonder. I guess one then has to question the point of the National Quality Framework if it lasted less than 10 years. What impact has it had, or has its introduction had, in comparison to the previous regime under the National Child Care Accreditation Council? Whatever the answer is, we must now ask, what can we now do when it seems we might have to fend for ourselves in the future, as I guess most other professionals, professions do? For me, there seems to be three opportunities for the sector, which I believe have the capacity to empower and strengthen our professional community. I think these opportunities can be addressed with little impact on the bottom line if they're done effectively and with due thought, consideration and, of course, commitment. These opportunities, I believe, are the role of the educational leader, peer review on quality and in-house ongoing professional learning. So let's have a look at those. The role of educational leader. This was gifted to us uh, through the National Quality Framework, but I don't think it was initially given its due value and credibility. I have, have heard so many instances of people being, for example, allocated the role without discussion or you're a new graduate with no experience but you can have the job. Experienced people who have no leadership skills. A full-time teacher who also has to act as the educational leader. Directors or managers who are also the educational leader, which often means that when they get busy operationally, the pedagogical side falls down. Unwilling incumbents, people who don't really want the job, people who have Cert threes people who have no interest and people without a job description for the role, which is very, very common. So none of these situations I think you would agree is acceptable. Yet, you know what, they are very commonplace across our country. For me, the role of educational leader is the most important role in any childhood, early childhood setting and one that should be given careful consideration in, in determining who is the right person for the role. I think we now have an opportunity to right the previous wrongs with the rollout of the National Quality Framework and as a community demand that this role is given its due weight. 
So if we reconfigure the role description and the ability of the appointee to undertake the role so that it's respected, even revered within a setting, this is going to be crucial. And I think there's some rethinking that needs to be done in order for this to happen. So I'm going to suggest perhaps that we put a person in charge of operations of a centre who focuses on the financial and management aspects of the centre. Because honestly, do we really do an early childhood degree to become a manager? Don't we really do it to become a leader? In larger organisations, they could centralise or cluster the management and administration of the centre and then lead the pedagogical leadership within the centre to focus on the thing that is incredibly important. In any large centre, say, I've just pulled this number out of my hat, but say over 60 place capacity, the role should be full-time. Unfortunately, having a full-time educational leader is a very rare occurrence at the moment, but I think it's financially viable if you reconfigure the management of a centre. In a full-time capacity, this person could support the teaching team, introduce families to the philosophy and the vision of the centre before enrolment, which then leads to less likelihood of misunderstandings later on. We could examine our understanding of what the role can be, and it could include being a critical friend, helping the team to see what they cannot yet see, making the familiar strange and contesting long-held truths, leading professional inquiry and supporting the notion of teacher as researcher and building a network of professional identity amongst the team that overlays the work the team does with children. I've spoken about this in my last podcast and I just think it's so important for us to rethink it. The role of the ed leader in effect should be an enabler of the curriculum in order for educators to deepen their thinking about the work that they do. The ed leader could lead the working group, the, the people who work on the ground with the children, giving them feedback and support um, in collaboration with the educators so that there is a link that's made between the environment and children's thinking and the educator's attitude to the work, the engagement of families and the way that the document, documentation unfolds. And I think in this way we can change our own perceptions of our work and the perceptions of those who observe our work. The second idea is this notion of peer review on quality. If you think about how many other professions measure quality, which is most of them, it's often through word of mouth, recommendations, feedback channels such as you know questionnaires and surveys, uh, your experience ratings, you know, like Uber drivers do, and the like. So I'm pondering the possibilities of the early childhood community and those with whom they engage, review quality from within rather than through an external body such as a CEQA who may not anyway exist past 2020. I think that we need um, a registration organisation much like the legal or medical, accounting, the trades and the teaching professions have to register our staff as meeting the qualification benchmarks that we set. Sitting alongside of this could be the licensing body. An early childhood setting needs to be licensed to operate through meeting professionally agreed standards. End of story. But then we come to how do we measure quality. 
very few organisations, and I can't think of any at the moment, I don't think, are externally assessed and rated for their quality as a mandatory part of their existence. If we look at our closest relations, schools, we do not find an externally assessed regime. But we do see schools that are seen by the community as excellent and of course not so good and much of that is not based on NAPLAN scores but rather the experiences of the students and the families. While engaging in the rating system at the moment is connected to the funding that parents receive in the case of long daycare settings, I believe they can be separate or perhaps it can be connected to getting a licence. To peer review the quality of an early childhood setting, perhaps we can think about a couple of things. Online reviews of their experiences left by families. Reviews by staff of their experience as employees of the setting. But of course this can't be a whinge fest. Asking children for their views and opinions about their experiences and having undertaken several projects of this kind, they can be very revealing about how children live the experience of early childhood rather than it just being observed by adults. I think that we can have greater effective transparency within the early childhood community and share excellent practice across the sector instead of hiding it. And look at the role of director carefully and decide if it's really needed or could we have effective managers who also advocate for the quality of operations and pedagogy and that done in collaboration with the ed leader. Look, this is not an easy pathway, but I think if we look to other professions that serve our communities, including children, surely there's a better way forward to ensure the quality of early childhood education and care that is based on the review of all of those involved, not just an external assessor. This could be really critical to moving forward. And lastly, let's look at in-house and ongoing professional learning. You know, the plethora of professional development has been on offer since 2009 is really quite astonishing. There are many new and great approaches that have been illuminated, such as the forest schools, nature play, the importance of infant and toddler practice, our resurgence in understanding the principles of regimelia, the advent of loose parts, mindfulness practice, the aesthetics of environments, educational documentation and a whole heap of others. And Australia's got so many fantastic and passionate early childhood consultants who share their ideas and experiences and knowledge with our early childhood community. But my concern is not about the quality of what's on offer, but that's not to say there are some that aren't the best, but we've not learnt to be strategic and focused in our professional learning. It has been my experience over the last few years that very few centres or organisations approach the use of the long daycare funding in a well-considered, robust manner. I think what we saw was a scattergun approach to anything that looked good and often, I'm really sorry to say this, provided an opportunity for a few days away in a different locale. There was a large early childhood conference held in 2016 and I heard from many of the sponsors and the storeholders how many, and I mean many, participants, in inverted commas, 
who were congregated at the cafes and outdoor spaces while the conference was in session. I think examples like this speak volumes about the commitment to grow as a profession through these experiences. Well, I don't want to dwell on it, I, but I do wonder how many organisations or settings zoomed on in on a shared expectation of this return of investment. While these activities were externally funded, I am not sure there was a huge, huge care factor on whether the impact of the professional development should be measured in any way. Not could be, but should be. I do know several individual centres and smaller organisations that were really strategic in the way they focused on aspects of practice. And I've then seen this continue on after the funding ceased. But in order to do this, many are looking at ways, or many centres and many organisations are looking at ways in which professional learning can be done in-house with some support from external thinking and mentoring and sitting side by side elevating the role of educational leader as a driver of continuous improvement. So I'd like to suggest that we think about a couple of things. Put professional learning on the table in a strategic way based on a very clear evaluation of what has gone before. So looking back in order to look forward. Be very considered in understanding what we don't know and perhaps engage someone who can help us see what we cannot yet see ourselves so that we begin to hold that mirror up to our practice and know where the gaps are. I think we should set really clear expectations about what you envisage as an appropriate return on investment and that's not just money but the investment of time as well. I think we should look at ways in which our educational documentation can play a role in supporting our further thinking about children and childhood and our professional practices. I think we should look at funding opportunities to support upgrading professional qualifications so that in time all educators have a degree in a field that is related to children, not just early childhood, but in that broad spectrum of understanding young children and childhood. And then I think see ongoing professional learning as a responsibility of each person, not just a right. So I'm not suggesting here at all that there's no place for external professional learning, not at all. But I do think much more could be done in the area of in-house learning. Perhaps we can be more selective about what we send staff to and why we're sending them. Wherever possible, I, th I think this is so important that all staff or as many staff as possible should attend, not just one or two, because most change, as you know, needs to be undertaken in a collaborative and cohesive way with a shared understanding and belief in what you wish to do. We then need to think about how we can apply what we learn in those experiences and what help we might need to get there. So I do think there's a silver lining in the current climate of budget cuts if we are savvy, smart and sensible about how we move forward. I'm actually really excited that the early childhood community might become a self-governed community. And I think with strong advocacy for what we believe in as the best interests of children first and foremost, 
and then of course with consideration of families. I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say on this so I look forward to your feedback and I do promise to be back with another podcast and perhaps another article in the near future. Bye for now.